We're continuing this morning in the book of Zechariah, and we're up to chapter 9. Tonight, we're continuing in our What All Christians Believe series, and we're going to discuss what all Christians believe about the end times. That's a question that uh, we just often get as pastors. What do we believe about the end times? Bible Study Fellowship this year, which meets in our church, is studying Revelation. Uh, They're dealing with that. So that's tonight in our evening series. This morning, we're in the book of Zechariah, and we're going to read... uh, I'm going to be considering and thinking of the whole chapter, but we're just going to be reading verses 9 through 12. And I think it's on the next slide. I think 9 starts at the end of the, yeah, the bottom of the slide, if you're following there. This is God's holy and infallible word. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. That is God's word this morning. We could really put this morning sermon series titled, Do You See What I See? Another way, and I could ask in this sermon series, do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus in this book? And I believe We have seen Jesus. We are seeing Jesus here. The night visions in the first half of the book showed us him. And now these prophecies that were in the second half of the book, even more so, even clearer if that were possible, show us Jesus, which is just perfect for us in the season of Advent preparing for Christmas. Verse 9 is one of those extremely clear prophecies about Jesus. We know Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And the Gospels quote Zechariah here. There's a surprise about Jesus and his character in our text. See, or as our older translations have it very nicely, behold, your king comes to you. Your king comes to you. Now that's a surprise It's kind of crazy because that's not what kings do. That's not what powerful people do. Right? Think about it. If you want to meet the president, it might be tough, but you might be able to do that. But in order to do it, you'd have to go to him. There's no way a limo is going to drive up to your house and the president's going to step out and ring your doorbell coming to your home. This past week, uh, someone I've watched very carefully over the years, Kobe Bryant, the third leading scorer in NBA history, announced that he's retiring at the end of this season after 20 years with the Los Angeles Lakers. If you want to see him, you're going to have to buy probably a very expensive ticket and go to an arena where he's playing this season. Even if you're a huge fan, Kobe isn't going to come to you. 
Joseph was second in command in all of Egypt. We read read about him in Genesis, just under Pharaoh. People who needed food during the famine, even his own brothers, went to him, the powerful ruler. That's what you do. But with Jesus, it's different. Our prophecy today tells us of a king who comes to us. And even more than that, the king comes bearing gifts. Normally, and the wise men at Christmas knew this well, if you come to see a king, you bring him gifts to honor him. But Jesus comes and brings us gifts. And we see the incredible gifts he brings in chapter 9 as it shows us who Jesus is and it shows us what he does, what he accomplishes when he comes. We read our coming king is righteous in our text, and that means he brings the gifts of righteousness or justice. This is probably not about his personal righteousness, though Jesus was perfectly a righteous person, but it's about the righteousness of his rule and his reign. This refers to his compassion and mercy and justice. This is what God called Israel's leaders to be, and that is God's purpose in all leadership, to ensure and keep justice in the land. The kings and the rulers in the ancient Near East, for the most part, were far from just. They accumulated all the wealth they could. They lived in luxury. They let the masses struggle and rot. God calls his leaders to look out for those who are vulnerable. The kings of Israel were called to be different, to set another standard, but they often just followed the ways of the pagan leaders all around them. But Jesus is announced coming with the gift of righteousness. He's going to build a kingdom that would ensure God's standards of morality, of what is right and wrong, which are about a personal righteousness, yes, but also about justice in broader society. In our world, it seems sometimes that the far left in our political spectrum cares about social justice and talks about it a lot, but doesn't seem to care so much for personal morality and righteousness and moral living. On the other side, the far right can come across as being very strict about everyone else's personal morality, but not so loudly speaking about injustice in our broader society. This king, Jesus, cares about both. And his gifts of righteousness and justice put in us a desire to see high standards of personal morality, yes, but also to be concerned about justice for those around us. It's why we partner with ministries, we did even this weekend again, like PADS and Crossroad Bible Institute. Political candidates are promising us all sorts of things, but we especially want leaders that promote righteousness 
and justice in our land. This is a precious, biblical, Christ-like balance that I think few people truly grasp and promote. But Jesus brings us this gift, and we understand it. We live it out as believers. The next incredible gift the king brings is salvation. We read the king comes having salvation. And it's similar to verse 11 when it says, we are freed from the waterless pit. Of course, this is the greatest gift of all, our salvation, freedom from our sins. That's what Jesus comes to bring people. And if he didn't come to bring us salvation, we'd never have it because we can't attain it. It's not something that we can earn or buy or reach, not in a million years. This gift is why Jesus came to earth in the first place, to earn salvation for us. God frees us, verse 11 says, because of the blood of the covenant. The blood of the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed to God's payment of the price of sin so that his people could be in a covenant relationship with him even though they were sinners. The once for all complete payment happened in the fullness of time when Jesus came. He spilt his blood on the cross and his death and resurrection saved us from the pit of sin and death and hell gives us new life and freedom in him. All of the other gifts Jesus brings find their full meaning in this gift, our salvation. We see the king also comes bringing the gift of gentleness and humility. We read he's gentle and he's riding on a donkey. Typically kings rode on war horses to show their power. This characteristic in Jesus is one that you and I have too because it's the fruit of the Spirit. For believers, And this is a, a tough one, I think, when I think about the church and when I think about Christians living in our culture because around us, it's all about us sticking up for our rights, making sure your voice is heard, having your say. And I think this gift of gentleness and humility is tough, especially when we see our faith being maligned and marginalized today. So, so how do we respond? What do we do in the face of what seems to be attacks against us and our Lord? How do we respond? What do we say? What are we posting on Facebook? Do we fight back with all we've got? What should the voice of gentle and humble believers be today? Those are very tough questions. They're very complicated ones. How to act today when we feel more and more that we're the visiting team instead of the home team as Christians, as we have been for decades? And this gentleness and humility, what about even... That's kind of the, the big picture. What about just your life, the small things day by day? 
Like when yesterday I'm in the bleachers watching my daughter play JV basketball, being pushed around under the basket. The refs aren't calling it. She's falling on the ground. What's a dad to do there in the bleachers? Not feeling very gentle and and humble, that's for sure. What does it mean that we as believers are called to gentleness and humility? It's tough. I don't always know. But I do know our King, our Savior Jesus, came gentle, riding on a donkey. And I know his humility carried through to every single part of his life and ministry, even all the way to death on the cross. What would Jesus do? What would our king say? We who have the spirit of Christ in us, we need to ask those questions before every comment we make, every word we speak, whether It's in our homes, in our church, in public. How am I allowing the Spirit of Christ to shine forth from me? Because this gift of gentleness and humility goes so against the grain from what we see around us every day, I fear we forget it. And as Christians, we live like the world in this. But I also think because gentleness and humility goes so against the grain, it means we have a tremendous opportunity because if we actually live this way, if we bear this gift ourselves, the world will take notice and see something different. They'll see Jesus in us. I have always admired those quiet Christians that I've known who live out the gift of of gentleness and humility because when I see that, I see Jesus in them. Another incredible gift we might call this God's shield and defense. In verse 10, God says he will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, the battle bow will be broken. It's talking about God's own people. Why would he be disarming his people, taking gifts away from them? We can understand it if we know something in the book of Deuteronomy. When God was telling Israel how to live in the land and organize the nation, he said specifically, you don't need weapons like the nations around you. You've got something better. I will be your shield and your defense and your protection. I'm all you need. Israel decided to try worldly might. And of course, it didn't get them too far. They were destroyed by the foreign nations. This ties in a bit to the gentleness and humility gift in the sense that it's very contrary to the world around us. God is saying, don't rely on human strength, ingenuity, riches, intellect, not the things the world depends on. Just me. Put your trust in me. I will care for you. I'm all you need. Sometimes I think God takes away our health and other human resources to show us and to teach us not to depend on those things, but to teach us that he is our provider and we don't need to trust in anyone or anything else. 
The chapter as a whole, this is the final gift, shows us the gift of God's victory and right connected with it, the inheritance that we get with his victory. The, our king we saw is gentle and righteous, yes. We don't depend on the resources of this world. Jesus didn't. He depended on the Father. But that does not mean the king is weak, and neither are we. God conquers his enemies. And when we belong to the Lord, his enemies are also our enemies. And so this victory is his gift to us as well. Romans 8 says as much when it says we are more than conquerors in the Lord. If you're looking at the chapter as a whole, the first verses in chapter 9 are very interesting. You can look at it later or glance at it now, they predict 150 years before the fact the exact order in which Alexander the Great would defeat the enemies of Israel during his military campaign that would usher in the dominance of Greece in the ancient times. A very interesting military campaign, contrary to what would be obvious, and that's what made it so brilliant. The chapter moves forward then to talk about Jesus' coming, that was later in history, how there'll be freedom in his blood, and one day the king who ascended back into heaven would come back on the clouds and he will put away God's enemies once for all, forever. There's a description of how grain will make the young men thrive and new wine will make the young women thrive. And that's a picture of God's peace. Perfect society that God's ultimate victory at the end of time will bring. The peace will extend from shore to shore, verse 10. It will be endless. It will be total. Nothing will take it away. And we will be victorious with him if we put our trust in Jesus and belong to him through faith. In the end, the gifts Jesus is bringing and brings with them, they're unlike anything we could ever imagine. Verse 12 says, God will restore twice as much to his people. Ancient Israel had lost everything. Their homes, their land, their wealth, they were put into exile. God is saying he will restore twice as much through his coming king. In other words, I'm going to give you more than you could ever imagine. I'm going to give you more than you could ever need. In Jesus, the promise is fulfilled so that God's people will have a glorious inheritance that's going to far outweigh anything that we experience apart from him. The king comes bearing these incredible, precious gifts. And so, of course, we rejoice greatly as the beginning of verse 9 calls us to. Because of this surprising development in history that the King of Kings stepped out of eternity and has come to us bearing these gifts. I told you before about my grandpa, Shuringa. He went home to glory last year. A number of you knew him. Before he moved his family to DeMott, Indiana, back in the mid-60s to start a chicken ranch, he lived with his family where he was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. 
I don't quite know how it happened living in Englewood and then Oak Lawn, but he was a Cubs fan his whole life. Well, one year, I was talking to my dad about this not too long ago, and I didn't know this. My grandpa got a ticket to go to the All-Star game. My dad said it was in Washington, D.C., so I looked it up, and it must have been 1962 when the Washington Senators hosted the All-Star game for the, for the major leagues. In those days, I didn't realize this, but it makes sense, the players traveled just like everybody else. Well, on the way home, on the plane, my grandpa sat by Mr. Cub himself, Ernie Banks, who, as you may know, died this past January, I think January 23. My grandpa came off the plane chatting with him. My dad, who would have been like nine years old, was waiting for him at the airport with his mom, my grandma. My grandpa said to his son, my dad, do you know who this is? My dad didn't recognize him in regular clothes and up close and walking off the plane with his dad. And he said, no, I don't know. My grandpa said, it's Ernie Banks. My dad was so excited, he yelled out, Ernie Banks! He couldn't believe it. And then my grandpa asked if Ernie would come to his grocery store and sign autographs. And Mr. Banks said, because of that look on your son's face, I'll do it. And he did. He brought his twin sons along. He probably signed hundreds of autographs that day, including my dad's baseball glove, which he regrets to this day using after that because the autograph wore off. Mr. Cub, baseball royalty. He came to my grandpa's little grocery store. Do you think my dad rejoiced greatly at Ernie Banks coming? And you think you would have? He did rejoice greatly, and we would too. How much more don't we rejoice in Jesus' coming, brothers and sisters? The King of Kings has come to us. It's astounding. It's unheard of. He came at Christmas as a baby to win for us the gift of salvation. Through His Holy Spirit, He brings that greatest gift of all into our lives, and we're invited to accept the gift of salvation, to receive it by believing. Because of God's great grace, you can receive that gift this morning. And we can receive and we can live out all those other incredible gifts the King has come to bring. Justice and righteousness, gentleness, humility, that He is our only provision in life, that gift of his victory over sin and death. Indeed, his gifts that are so great, they are more than anything we could ever imagine. And so we can rejoice all season long, every day of our life, because our king has come. And we're going to have a very special opportunity in the second half of our service to rejoice greatly in song. Because behold... Our King has come to us. Amen.